Hello, everyone. This is Ari in the Air. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy New Year. Stoked you're here. I am back. I've been holidaying so hard. I'm actually having to decompress from all my decompression um, and skiing. We're getting so much snow here in Oregon. It's awesome. Today, I've got a rad talk with my friend, Jacob Kishier. This is a recording that was recorded for his podcast, which is called Sense Space, which is a really super good show. Uh, if you like this kind of game B, metamodern, deep thinking, articulate conversation, you should definitely check out his show. He's got some really good guests on there that I'm actually trying to steal from him. Um, we go into a lot of different things and it's this is a cool episode for me because he's kind of interviewing me, which is a energy that I really like and uh, makes me feel super liberal with how deep my rants go instead of trying to kind of keep a guest talking I just let myself be the guest and keep ranting so uh, I hope that's cool for you if you like this show consider supporting on patreon that's patreon.com slash airy in the air for as little as five dollars a month top tier patrons do get free a free intro coaching call and remember I am doing philosophical coaching you can check out my website airy in the air.com uh, there is a page all about my philosophical coaching and a link where you can book a free intro call where it's not a sales call. It's just we're actually going to get down to brass tacks and try to sort out some of those muddy spots in your life through empathic listening and inquiry. So thanks so much to the people who have already signed up for those. I've been having a great time talking with you guys and I appreciate all of my patrons on Patreon. Thank you so much. Without further ado, here's my talk with Jacob. Enjoy. So as I was just saying, it seems like you've been doing a lot. Um, there's a lot going on. You're doing a lot on your channel. I've seen you producing a lot of videos. And I know from my own experience that that, that output of like putting videos out is somehow an expression of. Like there's a lot of live energy that is needed to be able to do that and to do it with consistency. Hmm. 
I feel for myself, like when I can get to the place of consistency with that will be like a maximal flowing energy, um, place. But of course there's times when I don't want to speak at all. So yeah. What's that all, what's that all about for you? Mm, That's interesting. Yeah. I've actually found it really difficult in those moments where I don't want to do it to do it. The wisdom that I would say is relevant here is make hay when the sun shines. Mm -hmm. Make hay when the sun shines. Because some days between my ears, the sun doesn't shine. And I'm not inspired to create things. I'm not inspired to be on stage. I'm not inspired to drop truth bombs, carpet bombing. But some days I am. And when it's on, it's on. You know, it reminds me of the. Have you read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? I have not. She wrote Eat, Pray, Love. But mm-hmm. Big Magic is a book about creative inspiration and creative work. Highly recommend it to anyone who tries to do the creative process. She's an amazing writer, and the book is fucking awesome. She writes that the muse never shows up at the artist. The muse shows up at the implement. The muse never comes to you. The muse is waiting at the paintbrush. Mm. The muse isn't in you. The muse is in the microphone. So whether or not you feel it, you might not feel it that day, but the muse is there at the microphone waiting. And so whether or not you show up, is all you can do. That's all you can control because some days you're going to feel it. Some days you're not. Whether or not you show up <laughs> is at the end of the day, all you, all you get if you want to dance with the muse. Yeah, that's, I like that. That's well put. Um, and today I definitely was not feeling it, but it's an expression of where I've gotten to in like two years to get to the point where I'm like, it's my policy now to try and show up no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. You fucking put on the sport coat and let it rip. (laughs) Yeah. And that's true. You know, it's, it's, there's something connected to parenting here, but Mm. there's something connected to like the story that we get where like, Oh, you don't feel it, honey. It's okay. There's something like of a, there's like a, the sound of a, the voice of a nourishing mother comes online when I think about when I don't feel good and I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the voice of the stern father is like, school doesn't give a fuck if you feel good or not. Get up and go get it done, buddy. <clears throat> I think the truth is somewhere in between and shifting back and forth between those things, but you never know what you might make if you do it feeling a different way than you would prefer. That is to say that if I like to podcast when I'm feeling super lit, when I'm feeling super energized, I'm going to create a certain kind of thing. And if I have fucking cried all morning, I don't know what's going to happen. 
pretty interesting to think about. I'm not sure what I might create. And so you just like wipe away your tears, put on your sport coat and show up at the microphone and see what fucking happens. Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) My paragliding analogy for this is what I refer to as weaponized fatigue. If I am fully stoked, if I'm so fucking energized and I'm so ready to do it and I take off, I'm, it's not guaranteed that I will actually fly well. But if I am, if I've been flying for three days and I'm pretty tired and I could use a day off, but the forecast looks good, let's, let's give it a rip. And I'm tired and calm and surrendered. Oh, fuck. I crush it like that. Oh, I so crush it like that. So there's this weaponized fatigue. It's mm. like this right state of being tired and dissociated or like di- like healthily distanced from the outcome that I would prefer that just like, oh, yeah. Look out. Today, I kind of feel that yesterday I climbed a mountain with my best friend, Chelsea, and the mountain has just, just the most incredibly acute summit. It's like, it's called Mount Thielsen. It's referred to as the lightning rod of the Cascades because it is so fucking pointy and in a tumultuous place in nature that the top of the mountain gets struck by lightning so many times that the rock actually has changed there. It's like melted. Mm. And the summit is like, you have to rock climb up to it and it's a thousand meters off one side. It's just incredible. So I'm feeling delightfully sore today. It's something about the climate and the kind of uh, plant life that I'm seeing outside your window is very, very appealing. (laughs) I really love that like dryish west coast um yeah yeah love the hikes very much very yeah, nice much out looking here. forward to escaping the city and really being in living in nature or close nice. to nature because you're in berlin right mm-hmm. but you're british what where what's your where did you grow I'm, up yes i'm english British, also culturally <laughs> transatlantic, pretty American. Got um, it. Yeah. Okay, so what do you want to talk yeah. about today? Let me just sink into that because <laughs> I don't want to answer too quickly. Fair enough. Well, truthfully, I don't know what we're going to talk about. And it seems to me that at this stage, it's more about pulling on a thread and then continuing to move down those threads um, mm-hmm. and let the, let the larger pattern reveal itself. And so the thread that, well, I'm just going to speak to what's been alive for me in the last few days, and we'll see what thread comes out of that. Um, Perfect. One of them is storytelling. 
And I've been realizing that that's something I don't actually understand or know, or like it's a capacity mm. that I haven't developed mm. that actually develops in a kind of context of being together with others where the orientation is towards telling stories like around campfire or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I've had a little taste of that, but it somehow has just come from like completely in my blind spot to like into the middle of the field of what I feel like is important for my life work and for what I do in these spaces with others. Um, and it's kind of connected with realizing that I don't know who I am in a certain way, but not in a way that's like, ah, I don't know who I am. It's like, ah, oh, cool. I, I don't know who I am yet. Or I don't like at 25, I don't know who I am, but I've had a whole journey of experiences that have led me to have a very unique experience of experience in the present. Um, and so, yeah, sort of getting better at telling story. And I feel like that's something in the context that it's come up in the men's group. Now it's come up in a private call with kind of a mental figure of mine. And then it's moved into the men's group. And then it's kind of been coming into my conversations with my fiance and like, it's very fascinating to me that there are these, that like we have this capacity to have whole blind spots of our own lives that we like, don't really like, there's parts that I can tell really well, like it could retell you everything and I really understand it. And then there's others that I don't as easily recall. And it's not necessarily that they're bad memories or good memories. It's just that there's a sort of selectivity of the fullness of my life, of the bands that actually readily come mm -hmm. to the fore. What do you make of that? Well, you spoke at the beginning to dreams, um, dreams being like relevant to you and relevant to you like today to be to be more precise and the reason that i remembered to reach out to you again for this call was i had a dream where i was like out in this like mountainous terrain sort of thing like in a little wood cabin and then there's this huge ass mountain sort of just there like on a plane like the, the hut was at the foot of the mountain and then like a big uh, black storm cloud was like coming down from the mountain onto the plane. And then there was like this move from outside to inside and then inside was like all these danky wood burner fires. Like there was one fire over here and one fire over here and you just felt so incredibly warm and toasty and like cabiny uh -huh. and so i don't fully understand the meaning of that and maybe somehow sharing it with you is gonna help realize that but it speaks to my relationship with dreams and that's part of like 
trying to tune into intuition and and the feminine is like letting help. the dreams sort of come through. And... Uh -huh. Help me understand the connection between you remembering to book this call with me and that dream. Was I in that dream? Uh, yes. You were the uh, you were the other person in that dream. So the context of the cabin and the mountain and all of that was somehow connected with you. We were there together. I guess maybe I was visiting you or something like that. And then. Awesome. So. I love it. I love the cabin. I just spent the weekend at the cabin. That's where it was. <laughs> at the foot there of the go. mountain that I climbed. It's literally, I was at the foot of this mountain. I just spent the weekend at the cabin raging the wood burning stove <laughs> Holy shit. Was. there you go there was okay so there was no just... dark storm clouds though it was quite beautiful very windy on the summit but quite beautiful all right so it wasn't just my pure imagination this was like a morphic resonance morphogenetic field <laughs> like, maybe. maybe i was tuning into yeah that's a very reality that's a very interesting serendipity um, that is a very interesting serendipity and it's also a safe bet that all that, uh, mountains, I've always had an affinity for the mountains. So I like that. I like that you, that, yeah, whatever you picked up on <laughs> placed me in your dreams near a mountain and near a wood burning stove in a cabin. Cause that's just uh, right up my alley. I don't claim to be good at interpreting dreams. I'm not like the Carl Jung or anything. Yeah. But I want to go back interpretation, here. But... I want to go back. Uh, I'm curious about this storytelling inquiry that you're in. And for me, I am a career storyteller. I'm a lifelong storyteller. I identify as a storyteller. And tell stories in a lot of different ways wow. so storytelling for me is everything from telling a joke to recounting my lived experience to making things up and being fanciful and iterative hmm. um so storytelling is a huge genre of communication for me. So I'm curious when, as you're inquiring into storytelling and how that hasn't been or will be a part of your life, what is that? What kind of storytelling are we talking? Well, thank you for laying all of those out. That was really cool. I've not been yet thinking of it in that sort of expansive sense it, it still feels very like newly come into my awareness even though of course story is like somehow all around us mm -hmm. like only just come into like consciousness for me that it's a thing that could be that i have a relationship to it um so while there's a connection between what we're speaking to with the dreams and the storytelling one of the things I've been having is that I left school at 18 and I went to university and I somehow left the entire context of my school. I left my town. I 
didn't have much continuity except for one or two relationships from my whole schooling thing. So it was completely somehow out of my awareness and I didn't identify with that as sort of defining me. And then over the course of the past year, experiencing this drip, 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 drip of just like faces, places, like all of my, like I had this dream the other night and I was just like walking around my school and it was like all like immaculately detailed and exactly how it was. And your schoolmates are sort of there and they're totally how they were, totally real. Um, and they, they haven't been like distinctly unpleasant or pleasant. They're just sort of, I'm just constantly being drawn back. And I, I feel mm -hmm. when I listen to my dreams, it's often that it's bringing through something in me and my memory and my deeper <clears throat> knowledge or experience. It's like gradually dripping it through into the conscious psyche. Um, so that's, a, a case for why it's really important for us to actually be able to talk about dreams and talk about them together and even like make sense of them to some degree. Yeah, that particular dream that you're referring to about being back in your school and having it vividly detailed, that sounds like a certain kind of storytelling to me that is something like, we could call it something like, you know, your factual experience. You know, that's just like what was real. That's just like what happened, mm -hmm. right? There's so many different kinds of stories we can tell. Like the story of what happened is one very specific kind of story. How it felt is a totally different story. The meaning I made of it is a totally different story. To add in timing, bravado, charisma makes it funny which makes it a totally different kind of story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, wow. The, best stories are rarely completely and totally true in an objective, factual, physical, manifest reality <laughs> sense. Because the best stories often tie in multiple elements of this. The best stories often tie in some of my own experience, some of my realizations, some of the background as to why that's relevant for me in my life. Maybe self-deprecation, maybe some kind of comedic timing, some kind of funny insight, some kind of hilarious overshare. The best stories tend to be a combination of lots of different kinds of storytelling, right? Like you never watch a two-hour movie that like is only one kind of story. It's like mm -hmm. most people need their emotions to move a little bit for them to stay on the thread. That's why like if you have a heavy movie, 
Like they're going to have a character that's funny so that 45 minutes into heaviness, they're going to have a light moment that's going to give people an emotional breath, give them a moment to be like, okay, okay, it's all going to be okay. Okay, let's tune back into the drama here. Okay, all right. right? Because we just can't fucking do it forever. We can't just do seriousness forever. We can't just, we can't do objective physical manifest reality forever. We crave people's experience. We crave the nuance. We crave the insight. And we can have insight. And we can have nuance. And we'll get hungry for some fucking drama. So Mm. it really is a shape-shifting, reading the room, reading the moment, tying it all together. This is so, it's just total improv. It's just so fun and beautiful storytelling and being funny. I think my first life goal that stays with me to today. The characteristic that I want to be, that I want to embody is funny. (laughs) It's funny. Okay. And I've made lots of mistakes shooting at that target, trying to be funny. I basically have created, I have done an enormous amount of harm trying to be funny. And have had to learn from that. But, and only in the last few years am I learning that a really valuable type of storytelling is my really genuine, authentic, lived experience. How it felt. How fearful it was. How terrifying it was. How uncomfortable it was. How ecstatic it was. All of these things, I've like that's a that's a new type of storytelling for me. But to like humiliate you for how you look or what you do or how you said that thing, that was like my original type of storytelling. Uh-huh. And then I moved into like the oh my god, you won't believe what happened storytelling, which was like a big part of my like adolescent life growing up as like a prof- as an aspiring professional skier. So something about the context of, of spending time with these other athletes and um, and skiing people that you would just end up telling stories together. Well, it's just it's just true about like paragliding too. Is like, you know, when we drink beers in the parking lot after we've paraglided all day, it's like you won't believe what happened. Right. And, and those stories are a mix of this objective reality. So I took a big giant collapse. My glider just collapsed. And then I completely and totally shit my pants. You know, it's like, that's both objective reality and your lived experience. It's funny and it's true. (laughs) I did metaphorically completely and totally shit my pants. Took me 45 minutes to calm down after that giant collapse. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. The concept of storytelling and how it relates to us being vulnerable, how it relates to us being authentic, how it relates to us being able to be sensitive to what our lived experience is, is all very relevant. Because as you know, sometimes the truest things are said in jest. Mm. Yeah. Or another way to put it, a different psychologist said, if you want to hear the truth, 
give a man a mask. Right? He won't say it about himself, but if you let him write it about a character, he'll write exactly his lived experience, his fears, his biggest, most sensitive, most vulnerable admissions are going to be under the guise of a character that he writes into a novel or that he plays on stage. Right? Mm -hmm. It was interesting. I talked with Skylar Brown for two hours the other day, and she said that actors in our culture are athletes of emotion. And I thought that was so interesting. It's like, oh, because we all want our emotions to move, but we can't make a move. So we all wish we could do this like amazingly triumphant, masterful thing on the field, but we can't do it. So we watch football instead. We all want our emotions to move and we want to live our lives masterfully and have insight and be courageous, but we can't do it or we don't think we can. So we watch these movies where these other, these other people can and we cheer them on. Yeah. Especially the ones that feel really real. Of course. They don't just feel real. They're real. Right? Yes. Right. They have to be really in it. Yeah. 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 And it's amazing to think about an actor as a masterful transmuter of his own experience that he can take his own lived experience and transmute it and understand it through a different story so that on screen can have a very genuine, authentic, vulnerable experience. That just is that the only difference is that it's in a different context with a slightly different story. It's not that the experience is inauthentic. It's an authentic experience, but under a different story. I think that's very much my goal in life. To be a great actor? (laughs) Not to be an actor. No, to be to be somehow as real as an actor is real in just as myself. Mm. Mm. And it's interesting, like there's like as you're like you were laying out some really good sort of gems on what it is to move through a story. And Mm. this sounds like there's kind of a musicality to it and the people aren't necessarily listening to the content they're listening to the the journey and then Mm -hmm. it sort of comes to some sort of climax and something happens or whatever but for me i i don't experience my life in monotone Uh at all um but sometimes i express it in monotone that's my (laughs) sort of autistic (laughs) lineage is to express things and that, that's probably where my humor lies as well, is that it is. whatever it's it is, dry. it's going to kind of come under the We same. refer to that as dry humor. <laughs> very, very dry. Yeah. So dry that you want to drink. <laughs> Makes you want to drink. It's <laughs> uh, funny. Yeah. So, but that's a big, like, if I could break through that, and go from being in monotone to being in monochrome. Yeah. What would that 
do to other people to see to witness that okay a couple things come up for me there monochrome monochromatic is all of the shades of only a single color uh-huh well that's not what i meant then <laughs> i apologize yeah that was interesting maybe it's a maybe it's well, a subconscious slip or something it, well i think i think it is a step in the right direction because for monotone where there's only one tone i suppose you can have rhythm in that to monochrome you have the entire spectrum of a single color is likely more expressive. Then from there, you get the entire spectrum of all of the colors and all of the tones and all of the paces and all of the rhythms. Hmm, that's interesting, I guess. There's also just like a way that you are, right? There's the way that you are. And hmm. I, I guess what I feel is I like, I want to push back on the idea that you have to be different than you are. And what you want to aim for is not better. It is wholeness. You know, I love, I love the, uh, the young quote, quote that is, I'd rather be whole than be good. which I just love. I'd rather just be all of myself than, than be good. And that quote hit me in a time in my life where I was just striving so hard to be good. Um, and it kind of realigned my purpose, the work I was doing. Um, So the pushback on how you are, but I think that your own version of in full color, in mm. full surround sound, mm -hmm. right? It's different for everyone because not everybody's Jim Carrey. Right. Right. <laughs> and as hard as I fucking try, as hard as I've tried for my entire life right. to be Jim Carrey, I'm still not. but I want to be the wholest version of myself, the freest version of myself, the realest yeah. version of myself. And I think those are valuable metrics. Whole, real, free, those are valuable metrics. Good and better and great are things I'm working to let go of. I have a recent podcast called Fuck Greatness. I'd rather have wholeness than greatness. And I think that those are the best storytellers or the whole people or the people who have, and I think I disagree with that even as I say it. Sometimes the whole, sometimes the best storytellers are the brokenest people. Right. It's like the blues. Sometimes it is the blues, huh? But it's also, you know, this conversation kind of brings up this like uh, something that's very Joseph Campbell, just the nature of human communication 
through story. Just the nature of humans to use stories to pass on information, which I think that in modernity, people have just completely and totally misunderstood. I mean, myself included initially. But the idea that religion was created to control people is just, you're just just missing the point. You just don't understand how transform, how information was disseminated in a culture before we wrote. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. Everyone's just like, and they just read it. I'm like, no, no, no. People didn't read, dude. I try to understand religion being created before people read, before they wrote. It's like, it was mm-hmm. stories, man. And it's like, you know, the Jewish idea that you don't eat shellfish and you don't eat pork. It was like, back in the day, those things were fucking really dangerous to eat. <laughs> like, foodborne illness was like a huge killer of their children and their people. It's like, yeah, you avoid these foods. God told you not to. What is God telling you not to eat pork means? Well, they ate it and they died. Well, fucking, that's <laughs> definitely God. That's my conception of God. <laughs> that's definitely alignment with my conception of God. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have actually a little story to, to throw onto this. Okay, well, add some color. <laughs> okay, so uh, after... After my fiance and I undertook our first and only five gram mushroom experience um, here in Berlin earlier this year, we went for our first trip out of Berlin to the countryside to a little village called Tala. And it was very quaint and it had little like witchy, like it had this whole like witchcraft thing there and beautiful nature. And we decided to hike to the next town, Quidlinburg. And by Google Maps, it was only going to be a few hours. And it ended up being marching through these very long country road fields and getting all like straw and stuff in our clothes. And we had also taken some mushrooms that day as well um, with intention. And the thing turned into a pilgrimage actually because we got it was like really hard like it was so hot it was like fuck (laughs) what have we gotten ourselves into we thought it was just going to be easy but it's actually like fucking really difficult and nobody here actually does this and then there was like this peak trough moment of going through this field with like all brambly bushes nettles she was like having a shit time We were like, kind of, you know, our communication was now like more conflicting because we're having to navigate. And then we finally got through and we arrived in this beautiful forest on the edge of the town. And then we smoked a little bit and we went, (laughs) went through the forest into the edge of the town. And it was like this beautiful German castles. (laughs) The church is up on the hill. But lo and behold, it's 30 minutes till when the, ch- the church closes. So we're having to like keep up the pace after like these hours, like go through the whole town, like not stop to look at all the beautiful uh, medieval enchanted looking uh, wood beam houses from the 1600s straight up to the church. 
and then we get to the church and the church is now a museum that you have to pay to go into and there's just like wood board construction everywhere inside like whole parts of the church are just boarded off and it felt like a like a construction site and a museum which was big anti-climax <laughs> but then we went down into the crypt and in the crypt there was this beautiful um medieval chanting playing in the background and in the crypt there were all of these frescoes like these old medieval frescoes on the ceiling of like jesus and disciples and different scenes and it was really quite psychedelic and i got a sense in there looking at these frescoes and also looking at these kind of statue uh almost like mummies but like of like medieval saints and then finally there was this 12th century altar that was just like so rugged and rocky and I just sat with it and I placed my hand on it and I just felt like connected like it, it felt very grounding to put my hand on this on this thing and I could just put my hand on it close my eyes and feel connected to like the hundreds of years of uh baptisms and like all the different lifetimes that must have occurred and so yeah this whole experience really showed me how much christianity was not a narrative in a book so much as it became a mm -hmm. uh, a full psychic experience it was uh -huh. like it lived inside of the story yes the story was psychedelically communicated to them through this sacred art that was suffused in like the most beautiful place and it was in every community and for them it didn't matter that it was like 1500 years ago or a thousand years ago or however long it was from the time of the story it's as if it was somehow present like it's in sort of sacred time mm -hmm. And so it, it doesn't matter when it happened. It sort of exists beyond. It's like the story sort of beyond time in it. How was that? How <laughs> That's a great like story. Some storytelling there. That no, I a, like it. I, I mean, like I, it. I thank you for the, the, I appreciate the space to actually be able to try out telling yeah. the story. Because yep. you need a, <laughs> You need an open space to do that. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I love that. The idea that you're, or just like the visual that you guys are a young couple who have taken mushrooms and are on what is going to be just a really pleasant hike that turns into just a bramble fest fucking sweaty bushwhack. like <laughs> <laughs> One more, one more thing before that is right before the brambles, we had walked past this beautiful lake and then an old German man had, uh, we'd asked him like, how do we get to the next town? And he was like, oh, I'll drive you. It's like five minutes. And we're like, no, we're on a pilgrimage. <laughs> Dankeschön, Dankeschön. We're going to walk. And little did we know that was right when we went and turned into that. What do you mean? He says, no, you use a car to get around all of this Blackberry. <laughs> Yeah. get around this swampy bramble shit 
yeah that's great and yeah the uh, it sounds like kind of a visceral epiphany of where Christianity which is likely the most powerful story our world has ever told and heard right the way our world right now is shaped that i've lived in and you've lived in western culture the most powerful story ever told by western culture or that shaped western culture is the story of christianity the story of christ creation and christ and it's unfortunate the level of disdain the story has and the slander that it has because i love how jordan peterson talks about it i love how jordan peterson talks about it and how he understands it i don't love how sam harris talks about it sam harris is very disempowering on this subject and jordan peterson is very empowering sam harris is straw manning of the subject and Jordan Peterson is steel manning in the deepest sense. He's like sacred manning. Wow. Sacred manning. Holy shit. We just fucking did it. The third tier. Straw manning and steel manning. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I re- well, I appreciate how that was a very clear distinction you just laid out of the two. Um, but what it's bringing up for me is that my dad told stories to a large extent in reference to things in the Bible. And that was his way of helping people. You know, he would, he was kind of an intuitive empath and he would help people and counsel people and read people and so Mm. forth. But he would always, at least in those years when I was growing up, it would be that he would offer to pray for somebody Uh or he would like, even talking to me, it took like years and years before we could actually have a kind of spiritual conversation without him having to put it in Christian language, Christian story context. Like he was so nested in that. Uh huh. Interesting. And for me, I need to. Yeah, I think there is something to this, like like father, like son, and I grew up watching him you know, emceeing in church and talking and telling stories and sometimes stories from his life and sometimes with the Bible stories. And what, what does it mean for us to be disconnected from the most, the most foundational story? Uh-huh. Well, the most foundational stories, period, because we're not just getting cut off from Christianity. We're not, we're not really as moderns very connected with the Greeks or with... Well, it comes, it goes all the way down to, yeah, that we're not just disconnected from Christianity, but we're disconnected from information transmission, right? The information ecology is broken as fuck. It's like swampified. And everything is like we're addicted to science no story is that's not true 
That's not mm. true. Mm. That's not true. It wasn't a construction zone. It wasn't all boarded up and it wasn't a museum. You're like, well, what? You know, You're like, what the fuck? It's such a semantic argument. No, let's, we got to talk about what's true. Mm. What is true? Is true physical manifest reality? So the idea that your father was nested in one kind of story or one language is interesting. You know, our mutual friend, Peter Lindbergh, writes about it as like code switching. Yeah. And, and I'm so good at this. I'm so good at this. This is one of my gifts. I can pray for someone. And I can also just talk completely objective reality. I, like I speak all those, I speak those languages, right? Like I can you speak have, to You've it. had that experience of praying for, praying for somebody or being invited to pray or just offering. Yeah. I mean, I grew up going to church and I have had lots of experience praying for and being prayed for. And I, when I was 16, wow. rejected that, vomited it up. And now as an adult, I sifted through my own pile of barf and realized that there were some things in there that I actually needed inside of myself. And with a different context, <laughs> with a different context, I could wow. recoat and swallow them again. It's very psychedelic what you're saying. Like yeah. you're, you're almost looking into your bath and seeing the fractal truth of totally. yourself. Totally. Yeah. The baby, will happen the baby came out with the bathwater. The nutrition came out with the barf. And so there's parts of that that are so important. So this is to, you know, to, to, it's almost like the process. And I think so many of us go through this is that we initially just as children, we're imprinted with the sacred man of our parents. We only have the sacred man. They're just like ineffable, deified, right? The sacred man. <laughs> That's sort of the sacred image of your parent that you have as a child. I'm, I've, you just fucking coined the term, all right? You, you coined it. Straw man, steel man, sacred man. Straw man okay. is, straw man is where you take what someone is saying. You misunderstand it, it. You pretend that you do understand it and you argue against something that they didn't even say. Steel man is where you work diligently to understand what they're saying, make the best possible case for it, and then agree or disagree with that. Sacred man is where you see through the right and the wrong, and you actually just like see the deep sacred belonging, the being, the, the sacredness of a person or a story. That's the sacred man. This is a concept I've literally, I'd never even thought about until you just said it and I fucking have, and now we're going, now we're going. All right. So the sacred man machine is fired up and running. So for me, and I think that I'm not alone here. So I'll just speak from my own perspective. I think that as a child, I had only a sacred man view of my parents, right? It's a deification. They're ineffable. They are God, they are the, they are everything. 
And then as a child, you think that the parent is so great as a person that they're the best. Mm -hmm. And then as you begin to individuate and need to move away from them and separate yourself so that you can grow on your own, you steel man them, right? You mischaracterize them often. And in mischaracterizing them, you're able to exaggerate, barf up, and really look at the things that they actually did wrong, right? But at some point, to continue growing, some of the stuff that you had to barf up with the wrong stuff actually needs to go back into place. So this is the, the analogy that I'm drawing here is that so many of us grew up with religious influence and likely around the time that I did, 14, 15, 16, barfed it up and said, no, this is bullshit. The pastor slept with one of the girls from the youth group. Come on. You can't fucking tell me this big thing isn't just a giant ruse passing the plate around. All right. Yeah. Well, when do I get to pass my plate around? I can use some fucking money too. I turned atheist around the same time. And I think it's yeah. also when you begin to see through the lies of your school teachers and the, the lies that the school tell you as well. Totally. Totally. So that's when we barf up the thing. We barf up the story. And with that, we try to barf up all the bullshit, human control, lie, deceit, the false certainty, the just all of these things. This is us trying to shed cultural and societal conditioning. It's us trying to shed our familial role that we've been put into. We're trying to break free of that. But then for us to really find our real role, our dharmic path, who we really are, we kind of got to pick up the idea of role and path again. We kind of have to get a little bit closer to the idea of conditioning. We have to get a little bit more intimate with the idea of our humanity, that, the, that we are just the uh, fucking bubble in the froth on the tip of the curling wave that's to crash on the beach. We're just a really small part of the whole thing. And then we can't, we can't break ourselves away from the whole thing and just invent ourselves as if we're some atomic individual because just an atom by itself is nothing. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't even exist. An atom only exists in a universe that exists. And a person only exists inside a humanity that exists. And you can't get out of your culture. And you can't get out of your society. And you can't get out of your familial role until you can kind of shift it, transmute it, re-understand it, recontextualize the story that you've grown up in. Mm -hmm. And it's through this code switching not through a abandonment, not through a rejection, but through a code switch that you can create a new space for yourself to be whole because your wholeness 
is not outside of your conditioning. Your wholeness is not outside of your familiar role. Your wholeness is not outside of your cultural and societal obligations. Your wholeness is a human existing inside of humanity right now. And the entire inertia of humanity and the universe is pushing you. And the entire potentiation of yourself and of the future is pulling you. And to think that you could just like take a hard left or take a hard right is a deep misconception of what mm -hmm. you are because you're a fucking bubble on a wave. So the idea that story is so important and so impactful is because we literally, as humans, neurologically, we understand ourselves as stories. We think of ourselves as stories. Who are you? I'm Jacob. I'm from England. And I lived here and I graduated from here and I lived here and then I moved here and then I met her and now we're this. It's a story. We understand ourselves as stories. And because of that, we are stories. Because the story doesn't actually exist anymore. So the code switch to be able to tell your story from a deified creation and Christ myth, to be able to understand your story from a secular atheist lump of atoms, molecules, and cells story, to be able to steal man's straw man and sacred man yourself code switch understand yourself don't get stuck on the semantics i feel like this is like to be able to look at the fractal from different sides to be able to understand yourself and might be able to give yourself the power of of understanding and accepting yourself for really where you are what you really are your wholeness your wholeness is the wholeness of the whole Right. Yeah. And to be able to, really... to be able to see that might, might, I say might, cause I'm not sure, but it might give you a better grip on the little micro lefts and rights that you can play into the future. What I was going to say is that it is. <clears throat> It's sort of the richest discovery of this time for me is, is in those spots where I'm completely depleted of energy and it seems like sort of insurmountable and yet I'm just called to go to step into it. Mm -hmm. There's an honesty in relationship with my inner dialogue, my inner sacred dialogue that I'm reopening that was sort of closed off mm. for a long time. And it's the same place where prayer occurs in other, in other language. Uh -huh. I see, I'm seeing them as sort of overlapping or the same thing. Yeah. And so when I can, and 
so too with my story. <laughs> when I try and tell my story and I'm trying to be, I'm not aware that I'm doing it, but I'm trying to be strategic. I'm trying to tell a story in a certain way. Then it's just fucking blows out. And when I actually try and keep it, when I stop trying to fluff around and I can really just say, like say what the truth as it's emerging of what, where I, what I feel has happened, what I feel I'm experiencing, then it, that's when it comes out most alive. Mm -hmm. But that is perhaps one mode of storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, that's, you know, we are talking about addictions and things that we love to do. That's maybe a place that I love to be, mm -hmm. but I don't want to just be in, in that place. I want to be in the other places too. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's a lot of <clears throat> fragmentations and integrations. And this dialoguing project is for me, partly an integration. The silliness that occurs all the time between me and my fiance and like all the different voices and characters and that I, I don't find it easy to necessarily bring that through into my conversations with mm. the world. Mm. And so, but part of me knows that when I can do that, it will change the world as I experience it too. to be able to face the world in a similarly intimate way that you face your partner will change your experience of the world. Am I hearing mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To be your whole unencumbered, free, liberated, individuated self integrated with where you are and who you're talking to in what language, in what context radically changes your experience of the world. Yes. And Absolutely. also bringing her in because there's a fragmentation at the level of like, you, you guys see me sense space, whatever, all of the people I'm talking to, they see me, they don't see Hannah, but uh -huh. me and Hannah are basically, uh, we're one organism on, mm -hmm. <laughs> in a certain sense where mm -hmm. that's how much of the time we are together, how into informing everything is like that conversation between us is the most important conversation. Mm, interesting. And so her, like in what way she steps forward and finds her own channel into this and we kind of bring it together. Some of the time that's going to be a really big thing because I will be disclosed in that in a certain way more by virtue of I'll be being with my fiance. So naturally I'm going to want to be, it's going to draw me into a deeper honesty and more of who I am with her. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that you are speaking in different words what I've been fucking banging the drum on a lot lately. Um, I recently made a video titled Paragliding Like a Man. Paraglide Like a Man. Mm. The lessons that, that one. 
the lessons that paragliding has teaches about manhood. And that is the developing the sensitivity to feel into yourself and what is real in any moment and having the courage and the discipline to articulate it accurately, compassionately, effectively. And I think that's, uh, that's our role as people. That's our cosmic purpose. I could put it into a cosmic purpose language <laughs> that as the lucky recipient of consciousness manifested in a body, it is your role to tune into what is real and let it lead you and yeah tuning into what is real and letting it lead you amen yeah yeah amen is an interesting one too um Amen and Om are the same thing. They're the same. They even sound the same, don't they? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Amen. Om. Mm. It is an incantation. It is a drawing in of the sacredness. It is to make sacred what you have to say. And that's an interesting thing. If you think about humans as stories, humans as carriers, thinkers, transmitters of stories, then the idea of amen, the idea, the idea of om. is a really powerful idea. What you say, what you think of this story, how you shape this story is sacred and it will shape your experience of the world, yourself, your role, and by its very nature, shape the world itself. So amen. I love I love that and it's incredible that you bring it up because I had been drawn to this one passage in Rupert Sheldrake's book on spiritual practices and it's about the om and the amen huh. and he talks about the actual vibrational resonance of of those sort of three sounds mm. and it's like there's a movement from sort of head to throat to chest so it's like um, it's like sort of bringing it down from uh -huh. the, the third eye to the throat chakra to the chest and it's so like what you speak to is so powerful just bringing that honesty into words even if it's just like quietly uttered and finding like to be able to speak it somehow like is is affording of that deeper continuity of things 
Well, I, the way I think of that there, the way I think of that is that, you know, to use the chakras is the crown chakra is actually like right above your head. It is like divinity, right? And so to bring things down and in sound to bring things down from your crown chakra through mm. your through your third eye through your throat and into your heart is to take what is divine and to embody it to bring it into yourself the other way is to when you breathe in the back you breathe in from your root chakra and the kundalini energy comes up your spine and all the way to your crown chakra is to take what is in you and make it divine. Om takes what's divine, makes it you. Your inhalation makes what is you divine. The exhale brings it down the front, right? Inhale brings your kundalini energy up your spine to your crown, and then the exhale brings it down the front. Yeah, that's some deep, that's some deep yoga truths. <laughs> talking about right that, that nourishing breath has been one of those fuels that I've found when I'm like completely without other forms of replenishment, like. I lost a ton of weight and I was like very low energy, but spiritually I was able to connect with that mm. almost greedy, like greedy with the nourishment, greedy <laughs> with the spirit, like really abundant, drawing it in <laughs> <laughs> and that gets you high in a certain way. Like you can really, you can draw in some, oh, yeah. something good. Oh yeah. To take with you. Oh yeah. If you've never experienced the psychedelic power of holotropic breath work, it's something you ought to look into. Steve Beatty at the Stoa every Sunday morning. Highly mm -hmm. recommend it. It's been great talking to you, man, as always. Very much. Really appreciated this yeah, man. conversation. It was a journey. And uh one biblical verse and the one that i do remember that my dad used to always say is iron sharpens iron and i feel like that's us i feel like we're iron sharpens iron um i feel like it's go time and we really we move through a lot of terrain um in this space like this space is very alive and it's very uh very masculine really going on a multi-dimensional journey. Yeah, I love that. There's some yeah. live learning going on too. Iron that's really what it's all about. Iron. That's iron what it's all about. Iron. Yeah. Interesting. It's very true. It's a very masculine thing. Fucking bang your head against another head till it is different. Good stuff, buddy. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We'll do it again soon. All right. Look just wait. Just wait until I take you to the top of the mountain in the dream, and then I'll <laughs> make sense. All right. Keep your eye out for the sign that it's time to talk again. All right, and I will too. I'll let you know. <laughs> all right. See you, Jacob. All right. Bye, man. Okay, you guys. I hope you like that. Thanks so much for listening. 
Like always, if you like this show, consider sharing it and giving it a review. And the most helpful thing you can do is support me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash air for as little as $5 a month. And if you want to work with me, that uh, avenue has recently opened up through philosophical coaching. Would love to hear you and reflect to you in a coaching space. So, if that's something you're interested in, check out airyintheair.com. There's a page for philosophical coaching and a link where you can book a free intro call. Would love to talk to you. Thanks so much for listening. See you on the next episode.